All right, put myself on here. We're going to be back in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We're finishing up the ninth chapter this morning and uh, just have a few chapters left after this. Uh, before I do, I just wanted to, something I neglected to do with the, the announcements, I just want to acknowledge Tony and Wanda being back. Tony um, has been sick for several weeks and we've been praying for him and uh, he's back and we're so glad to have you back in, amongst us. So thank, praise the Lord for, for your healing and that. Yeah, so good to have you. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, it's addressing wisdom again. This is wisdom literature, and we've been wrestling our way through Ecclesiastes, trying to, trying to discern the wisdom that has um, been put forth through Solomon in this book. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, the last half of chapter 9, he's addressing this idea of wisdom and his kind of frustration with wisdom because you know we've he's been discussing the last several chapters that traditional wisdom says you act this way you get this result and so if you're righteous you're supposed to be blessed and if you're unrighteous you're not supposed to be blessed um, but often that is as he's observed the world around him that's not the case and so he he's he's trying to come to an understanding of how to employ wisdom in a fallen and broken world and that's something that you and i can take even in 2021, right? How to use the wisdom God has given us and to apply it in a fallen and broken world. And so um, the first couple verses, he just kind of recaps what he's been talking about, what we closed off last week. We, uh, he said, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, essentially. He, he said it wrapped up in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 9. And uh, because we, we, he says, enjoy life because this is all, if, if this is all that there is, then, then you might as well enjoy it. And, and we, we took what Solomon had, had given in this passage of Scripture, but then we applied uh, what the New Testament has told us about the fact that there is more meaning and purpose than what's just happening under the sun, that we can find true meaning and purpose, joy and, of the Lord, and all those things as we understand God is working out His purposes in this life and in this world and His creation. And as we seek to live our lives for the glory of God, that is where we find meaning and purpose, is to glorify Him. And so we're thankful that God's revelation didn't end at Ecclesiastes, amen? We have the complete story. And he goes on here to talk about wisdom. Let's read verses 11 and 12. He, in a negative sense, he, he's essentially saying the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And that phrase might sound familiar to you because that's found in the Sermon on the Mount. That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. But he, let's go ahead and read what Solomon has to say. Again, I saw under the sun that the race is not swift to the swift or the battle to the strong or bread to the wise, or riches to the discerning, or favor to the skillful. Rather, time and chance happen to all of them. And so he's essentially concluding the fact that it doesn't matter if you're strong or swift or rich or, 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 or wise, um, if you have bread or not, if you're discerning or not, right? Chance happens to all of us. None of us know what will happen tomorrow, and it, it, little will play out as far as what we do um, and what we strive for, uh, chance happens to all of us. It's chance to us, as we discussed last week, but it's not right in the eyes of God. God's in control of all things. And so we may not know what tomorrow holds, but our God does. 
He goes on, verse 12, For certainly no one knows his time like fish caught in a cruel net or like birds caught in a trap. So people are trapped in an evil time as it suddenly falls on them. Again, we never know what tomorrow holds. Right? What a great illustration. A fish just swimming along, all of a sudden he finds himself caught in a net and how life can be like that for us sometimes. And that's his conclusion but I just want to take this opportunity to roll past what Solomon is saying and, and maybe project this in the positive light that, that as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, right, that God's common grace is given to all. That chance, we, know, we don't know what falls us tomorrow, but still those of us who are children of God, who are in Christ and those uh, of humanity that are not, they still benefit from God's common grace. They still benefit that the rain falls on the crops for not only the just, but the unjust. And um, Acts in this account here speaks of this. Although he did not leave himself a witness, he's talking of God. He's, he's talking about the nations. Uh, all the nations who, who had ignored God and, and rebelled against him. Although he did not leave himself without a witness, since he, he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. So yes, in the negative sense, right, the evils can fall upon us in this fallen and broken world, but at the same time, we need to acknowledge and recognize the good things, the things that are good, uh, the, the very air that we breathe, the food that we will have today, this afternoon, is all given by our, our great God. And it's given to all. It's common grace is what it's called. And it's important to maybe dwell on that instead of just the negative, as Solomon tends to do. He goes on in verses 13 through 16, and he talks about this city who becomes under a siege, and his whole goal in verses 13 through 16 is to, to demonstrate the fact that wisdom, right, that's knowledge applied to, to certain situations, Wisdom is only beneficial when it's heated. You can have the correct wisdom. You have the right thing to do in a certain situation. But if it's considering a group of people, if, if that wisdom is not heated, then it's, it's to no avail. And he gives this observation of this city. In verse 14, there was a small city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and surrounded it and built, built large siege works against it. And then in verse 15, right, here's this small city with a few people, but here's this wise man. Now a poor wise man was found in the city, and he, he delivered the city by his wisdom. So here's this poor man, small in stature, poor, not wealthy, when the, the army, invading army surrounds and lays siege a hold of the city, right? They look to him, they, they see, uh, seek his wisdom, and he gives it. But yet, after the fact, after they've been delivered, no one acknowledges him as the wise person. He's otherwise, he's yet referred back to or put back to his, his commoner status. Yet no one remembered the poor man. Verse 16, And I said, Wisdom is better than strength, but the wisdom of the poor man is despised and his words are not heeded. All right, because of his lot in life people didn't they 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 leaned on him when they really needed to right but they didn't acknowledge that 
It didn't say, this is a wise person among the bunch. He's delivered us. We need to heed his counsel. No, he's put back in his place. So wisdom is only beneficial when heeded. Someone's status isn't the sign of wisdom. Material status, educational status has nothing to do with wisdom. And if we find those in our lives that have wisdom, who have something to give and pour into our lives, they've gone before us. We need to heed that and acknowledge that and that person as someone who is wise. And then Solomon in verse 17 goes on to gives, a, gives us two points of advice upon, upon giving wisdom out to provide someone else wisdom or a group of people wisdom. And he says this in verse 17, in order to give wisdom that's going to be heard, the calm words of the wise are heeded more than the shouts of a ruler over fools. So if we're going to give wisdom out, it needs to be in a, a calm sense, a, a sense of purpose, and, and not just a, a, someone who just happens to be in the leadership position, so they're going to raise their voice and shout, shout yell, and scream to try to get their, their, their agenda across. As I was preparing this week's sermon, I read this verse and it instantly came back to this time in my younger, I've been in telecommunications for over 20 years now. And then my early uh, part of my, um, my career, uh, I was in charge of these fiber optic lines and cables that were buried underground and my sole charge was to make sure they didn't get dug up by contractors. And so, you know, I'd go out there and I'd the contractors would want to get as close as they can with their big backhoes, you know, so they didn't have to dig it by hand. And I'd fight and, you know, make sure that they didn't, they didn't do that. They hand, hand dug it. And there's just one contractor who, you know, I came out and I explained the situation. I said, these, these cables cannot be dug up, right? You know, my job's on the line. This is very important that you don't do it. Uh, please follow these rules. And, and I leave. And, and next thing I know, I get this phone call. Guess what? They dug up the lines or their backhoe. And so I come racing up there and I felt fully justified and vindicated by, because I, they knew the consequences, right? So I jumped out and I just, man, I laid into them. I was just yelling and screaming and letting them have it. How dare you? You don't understand. You know, and I was mad, face, face, my face is red. And I'm sure there's some words coming out of my mouth that probably shouldn't have been coming out of my mouth, right? And I remember the, the foreman looks at me, he, and all of a sudden he just starts smiling at me. I'm like, what do you think so funny? He's like, you know what? Fix it yourself. And him and his crew got in and drove away because of my attitude towards them. And so I was even in a deeper, worse spot, right? Because now I don't have the crew to dig up the cables to be able to splice them back together. I had to get another crew, and thankfully I wasn't fired. But it was a good lesson. The calm words of the wise are heeded more than the shouts of a ruler over fools. Right? Traditional wisdom speaks much of that. The sensible person. That person's wisdom is to consider his way. But the stupidity of fools deceives them. James speaks of this, right? To, to be quick to hear and slow to speak. To take in, listen, and be slow to speak. And answer in that way that the wisdom that you have will be heard and not rejected. And then the next point that he has back in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 18. Wisdom can be undone by selfish desire. And this is a good 
reminder for us today. As much wisdom as a group may have, if there's selfish desire within the group and the group's trying to, to in the case of us, you know, the, we are the local uh, physical manifestation of Christ's church in Idaho Falls and our purpose is to glorify God to our, to our community, to be the light on the hill, to be the salt that He's called us to be. And we have lots of wisdom in this church. But if there's someone who, or many or a few that have selfish desires, who are, are here for their own reasons and their own purposes, that could be greatly hamper what God can do with us. And it begins with me as well to examine and, and make sure our desires are right. It can be easy, we can easily slide into that. And that's what he's saying here. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. So Solomon in his wisdom says, look, it's better to have wisdom than power. To be wise in a situation than exert your power. But one sinner can destroy much good. One cursed person can leaven the whole loaf, right? And there's a great example in, in the Old Testament in Joshua chapter 6. God has allowed Joshua to take his people into the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness with, with Moses. And he, it's a very exciting time. They cross the river Jordan in Joshua chapter 6. They um, come to Jericho and, and the, the, word, the Lord, word of the Lord comes to Joshua and says, I will give you this city. This is what you need to do. March around the city one time for six days, every day, one time around the city. And on the seventh day, march around it seven times and shout. And I will hand you over this city. God has demonstrated in the fact that they, God is going to take care of their enemies. All they must do is obey and rely on the Lord. But there's this one verse that we need to highlight as we go into the next chapter in chapter 7 to explain what's happening in Joshua chapter 7. And we know that the, all of us that right, have been in Sunday school know that that's exactly what God did. God delivered Jericho over them to them. The walls fell after those seven times. But he says in Joshua six eighteen, But keep yourselves from the things set apart, or you will be set apart for destruction. If you take any of those things, you will set apart the camp of Israel for destruction and make trouble for it. He says, when, why give you Jericho? Don't, take the, don't pillage and don't take the spoils of war for yourselves. Those things are set aside for destruction. And if you take those things, you will be the one that's being given destruction. It was a clear warning from the Lord. Don't be selfish in this. Don't take the spoils of war. And in Joshua chapter 7, we see the children of Israel, after this great victory God had handed them in Jericho, they see this small city called Ai. And they send scouts to scout out Ai, their enemies, and the scouts come back and says, they're just a few, they're not very, they're not very big. We just need a couple or two or three thousand men and we should be able to take them. And so they go into Ai and they, they get beaten soundly, the children of Israel. And they're like, what's going on? What happened? And as the story unfolds in Joshua chapter 7, the word of the Lord comes and says, someone has taken spoils for themselves, essentially. Bring these families out so that they may be found out. And in Joshua chapter 7, verses 19 through 26, we see that it was Achan who had done this, who had violated the strict command from God. God had delivered Jericho to them. But yet... 
Achan had this selfish or desire for selfish gain to take the spoils that he was commanded not to take. We see that in verse 19 of Joshua chapter 7. So Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and make a confession to him. I urge you, tell me what you have done. Don't hide anything from me. And Achan replied to Joshua, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Babylon, five pounds of silver, and a bar of gold weighing a pound and a quarter, I coveted them and took them. You can see for yourself. They are concealed in the ground inside my tent when the silver, with the silver under the cloak. So Joshua sent messengers who ran to the tent, and there was the cloak concealed in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took the things from inside the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out in the Lord's presence. And then Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, his sons and his daughters, his ox, his donkey and sheep, his tent and all that he had, and brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you brought this brought us trouble. Today the Lord will bring you trouble. So all Israel stoned them to death, and they burned their bodies, threw stones on them, and raised over him a large pile of rocks that remains still today. And then the Lord turned from his burning anger, and therefore the place is called the Valley of Achor still today. So, yeah, it's kind of a shocking, a sobering reality of right of, and it kind of reminds us of our the holiness of our God. Right, He has given a command to His people, and because Achan has chosen to disobey, he, God told them what the consequence would be, and that would be destruction will come upon you, and it was carried out upon him. And so, it's a sobering reminder for us today in the New Testament context that although we are we are bound in the in the righteousness of Christ and we are no longer under condemnation, we're still we that is still the God who we Jesus has made a way for us to be reconciled to. He is holy. He must punish sin, just as he punished that. And so, uh, just a, a little reminder for us how how grateful we are to be in Jesus. And not under the condemnation of our God because of the sin that we have, have done and will do. What a sober reminder of who our God is. We, we tend to pacify God. But God is holy and just and majestic and to be reverenced and to fear, right? And we see that being carried out. And so on one hand, we see who God truly is in this story, but also in the New Testament context, how grateful we are Right to, to be extended mercy, to be extended what we truly don't deserve, or with being withhold what we truly deserve, I should say that's mercy, and then grace being extended what we truly don't deserve. But it's uh, and that's the context that we have in the New Testament, and that's the place where we reside. But but it still goes without saying that there's still consequences, right? There's still consequences for people who desire to seek selfish gain within the church environment or out in the world, right? Those consequences still remain for us, not maybe eternal consequences, but the consequences that are played out in this life, as was the case in Achan, right? Achan was the, wasn't the only one that suffered because of his sin, 
All of the children of Israel suffered. They, they lost the battle. They were overrun by those of Ai. And so this is maybe a different perspective to examine the, the, the New Testament command for us to, to seek to live for others and not ourselves, to make sure that our, our motivations are not selfish gain. Right? We're not, we don't have the opportunity to steal bars of gold or silver, and if you do, well, you've got other problems, right? But the, the application from this can be, can be taken for us what are our desires from our church family? Is it just for us? Is it what the church can do for us? Because the Old Testament or the New Testament, uh, the, the commands of the New Testament encourage us to not live for us anymore, right? To glorify God is to live and love others. And the story of Achan at Ai is a, a, a good reminder for us that the consequences doesn't just necessarily fall on us. That we might be inhibiting what God can do in our church if we're not seeking to live out the command to live for others and being selflessness instead of selfish. It's just a good reminder for us. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, he's writing to this church and he says, this is what I want for you guys. I then, there, if then... There's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, in any fellowship with the Spirit, in any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united in the Spirit with one another, intent on one purpose. Our one purpose is to glorify God, according to Scripture. Do nothing, he says in verse 3 out of selfish ambition or conceit. That's selfishness, right? But selflessness looks this way. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. So that's our takeaway from what uh, Ecclesiastes uh, shows us here in that, that verse to, to uh, the warning that one person can mess up, right? Leaven the whole loaf. That is in the New Testament context, we need to make sure that we, we pursue uh, what God has called us to. And our motivation, right, should be what Christ has done for us. Paul would go on in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to begin to say this, and this is, this is what I want you to do in verses 1 through 4, and this is your example. Jesus Christ who set aside the glories of heaven and all that it is to be God and majestic and be worshipped and all those things. He set those things aside. He took upon the form of a servant and the likeness of men to come, right? The ultimate act of humility, of selflessness, to come to save us from what we truly deserve. And that's the motivation, right? The motivation is Christ showed us what it meant and looked like to be selfless. And now he's calling us to do it. And the, the warning of Achan at Ai is, man, if I slip and I choose not to do that, the consequences may go beyond just me. It may inhibit what the Lord is trying to do in our local body and our local work. It's just something to take away. 
So we pursue those things, and the motivation is for what Christ has done. He, he's done that for us. And then our last takeaway, I wanted to, again, take you to Paul and Colossians. Pursue true wisdom, right? Solomon is saying, wisdom is good. It's better than power. But it's still, right, traditional wisdom doesn't guarantee you success in this life under the sun. And so we can be shaken and we, we are to pursue wisdom in this life as we've talked about and pursue the wisdom that God has given us in His Word, not as a means to prosper in this life, but as a means to glorify God, to do those things in spite of God, and what, or in spite of, not in spite of God, because of God, we're to do those things in spite of what we get paid or what we prosper or don't prosper in this life. It is to glorify God. We pursue wisdom, His wisdom. And so that is how we are to glorify God in our walk as we close with the, the quote in 1 Corinthians last week, right? Whatever we eat, whatever we drink, whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God. With this idea of wisdom, the beautiful part about the wisdom that we have in the New Testament context, right? It's not wrapped up in a cause and effect. If we do these things, then we'll, we'll, this will be our result. No true wisdom is found in a person. And then to pursue wisdom is to pursue Him and walk with Him, to glean the wisdom that is found in Christ. As Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, Again, you see Paul's heart, his, his desire for people, and ultimately God's desire for us, right? This is inspired words by the Holy Spirit of God, preserved for the church, for us. And this is their, God's desire for us. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love, right? To, to pursue unity isn't a, a taskmaster going, you must, you know, unify, no, the motivation is what Christ has done. Joined, encouraged, and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Paul's desire, God's desire, is that we would have the complete understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, His salvation that we would grow in Him in this life. And Paul says in verse 3, In Him, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. True wisdom. I think the call this morning, at least as I ended my study this week on this passage of Scripture, is I'm so grateful that I don't have to find... uh, uh, or depend on just traditional wisdom. If I do this, then this is going to happen. And then be frustrated with the fact that it doesn't happen that way. That even though I do good, right, I don't get rewarded. If I look around and I see those who are doing bad, they're the ones that are prospering. I don't have to be frustrated with that because God has given us true wisdom. And that is our walk with Jesus. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge so let us pursue him together in unity that he may be glorified and as we find him and spend time with him and learn more about him and and testify of his his goodness to those around us that that the wisdom that we would glean from that would in, 
um, help us for the, for the path that he's given us in this life. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for this opportunity, God, to be able to be reminded, Father, of your, your great love that you've given to us in Christ Jesus. Father, I'm so grateful, Lord, that 